Hello, I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And I'm Dr. Akiva Daum. And, and welcome, welcome to Interesting, Interesting Questions. I am a rabbi with ordination from Yeshiva University and a doctorate in education. I have a medical degree with specialization in general and addiction psychiatry. In this podcast, we will seek to take different questions that come up in the Torah and evaluate them from a psychological standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. Please note that in many of these situations, we will be looking at things that may be viewed as controversial. It is specifically to bring about questions that many people have had and bring in to light different levels of evaluation and it'll get people to think about things in a different way. Hello and welcome to Parshat He'ezinu, as we wind down this year's Torah reading. And He'ezinu is a poem. And Akiva, I want us to have a conversation about He'ezinu. And so I'm going to start with a couple of facts um, and my thoughts, and then I'll invite you to join in with your take on it. Um, So there are a couple of facts that, that I find fascinating. First of all, if we... If we see the time in the Midbar as being its own story and its own growth arc for the Jewish people, then you have a poem at the beginning and a poem at the end. You have Azyashir at the beginning and Hazinu at the end. So that's one interesting thing to me. And if you look at these two poems in the Torah, they are actually written in poetic form. Az Yashir is written to look like waves, which means there is a right-justified sentence and a left-justified sentence, and then below it is a center-justified sentence. Whereas Hezinu is only right-justified and left-justified and comes in two columns. Um, and that may be connected to their, uh, their poetic structure, but we won't dive too deeply into that. Um, But there were other things that struck me as interesting about this, including the fact that we have parshiot, and while we don't often make um, a huge deal about the name of the parsha, because the name of the parsha more often than not comes from the beginning or first words of the parsha, the idea that Moshe directs people here, he'ezinu, Right? Listen, as opposed to a few weeks ago when we had re'e, look, struck me as, you know, we don't necessarily, we're not going to have a Parsha that's called taste this, but the idea that we're going to have, you know, see this versus listen to this, you know, uh, how much of that is active versus passive struck me as an interesting difference. And then the other piece that's just interesting about this to me is I work with teenagers a lot and while we often lament about the fact that they can't remember basic facts in history, they seem to be able to remember the lyrics to every song that's on the radio or at least to their favorite songs. And so here too, I see this as a mnemonic device or device at least that Moshe may be using and he almost says as much at the end of the Parsha that this is something you should command your children, and it's something you should teach your children, this song, because it's something that's going to 
both warn them and inspire them and hopefully get them to stay on the path to Hashem or at least return to the path to Hashem. And so as a poem, I found it interesting. I found it fascinating. Um, And the fact that it's put into poetic form, I found interesting and fascinating. So at this point, I will hand off to you, Akiva, and tell us what you thought. Avi, I love the juxtaposition of Az Yashir and Hazinu. Um, because when we're reading over both of them, uh, Az Yashir is really this B'nai Yisrael having this, uh, envisioning the literally the grandeur of Hashem, the, the might of the Almighty, uh, who slays and, and takes care of those who would do B'nai Yisrael harm and protects. And when we're looking over Hazinu, um, it, it really kind of starts off a little bit with some niceties of, of the wonders of Hashem, and then very quickly goes into the terrible, terrible things that B'nai Israel will do. Not even does. Will do. Um, and so, I'm just looking at this foreshadowing. The, the difference between seeing what is being in the present of Az Yashir, and to, you know, state the overstated, the present. Hashem giving B'nai Yisrael a present of freedom versus the foreshadowing of really doom and gloom, which is, which is what is seen. And, and yes, we can say that, you know, there's the chance for return and there's the chance for redemption and all that is wonderful. Um, but at the same time, there's an awful lot of, see, you've had all these wonderful things, you've enjoyed these prosperous gifts, and you forgot who gave them to you. And you forgot what it meant to have them. And so I, I kind of think about it as the idea of maybe part of the problem in general is foreshadowing. Maybe when we look too far ahead and we forecast what will happen, and we see this a lot, I see this a lot, where people will come in and they'll catastrophize what will happen. They'll look at the most terrible things that are possible. Or they will not feel safe to set goals because the day-to-day is so challenging for them they can't possibly think into the future. Well, this, this, this is a poem, this is a song that really forecasts much into the future and talks about really the loss of gratitude. Az Yashir is exactly the exemplary image of gratitude. And the piece that sticks so mightily out into my mind is where it talks about here we are, we, we, we're living in Eretz Yisrael now, and we have all of these wonderful gifts, and we lost the gratitude, we lost the opportunity to see what we should be grateful for, and we thought, we did it. And, and I think that the idea of gratitude here 
it, it's not on the surface, right? I, I'm, I'm only picking this up now as I'm thinking about it more and more. But the idea is very important. The idea that we should always express gratitude and we should be sure to know what it is that we have and, and how we got it and where we got it from. And there's, there's both importance and confidence and compassion and, and wonderful things that come with gratitude, right? When you remember how you got something, when you remember that it's a gift and you should appreciate that gift and you should nurture that gift and grow that gift, it encourages you to continue to work for that gift, to not take it for granted. And if this is saying, as it is, we will forget this and we will lose that gratitude, then it should be taken away because if we don't nurture it, then we will lose it and we should lose it. An athlete who becomes a wonderful college star and doesn't practice does not go on to be in the majors. That's just the way it is because you have to practice. So let me ask a question that I think is very relevant. Most of us, right, um, start off with little and work hard, and I'll speak for myself. I remember when I came out of college, right, and I was first married, we lived in a little apartment that had... um, homemade furniture that essentially was either Ikea or was uh, literally cinder blocks put on top of boards, right, that you'd put the TV on top of. And that was what we lived in, and we were happy. And when we went looking for our second apartment, all we wanted more than anything in the world was one of those little sprayers in your sink just to help make it easier to to spray down the sink. Um, And progressively, as we make a better living for ourselves, as our families grow, right? We become a little bit more comfortable. And so what are some practical tips as individuals? Because we're still in the time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This is usually when we read Ha'ezinu, right? What can we do practically to not necessarily put ourselves back in that uh, time in our lives, but put ourselves back into that state where we are grateful for the things that we might now be taking for granted um, because they've become a normal part of our lives. So how do, we, how do we renew that sense of gratitude? I do think that it is very important to always remember your roots, remember where you came from. And if you perhaps were lucky enough that you grew up not having without, then talk to your, talk to your parents about it. Or talk to an older sibling. Talk to somebody. Figure out what it was like when people didn't have. Because the truth is is that I think it's safe to say, at some point, we didn't have. And when we can remember that opportunity of what it took, the effort, the the schut, to, to grow and to change and to get something better and better and better, but also to define what better means. Right? What is what is a better? For some people, it's very easily seen in the material. For other people, it is also seen in the professional or in just the the tangible intangibles. So, what do I mean by that? Um, family, 
right? So, so we, we realize obviously tangibly we grow from having a certain family to growing and having our own family, if we're lucky enough. And that's obviously tangible, but there's also the intangibles that come with having a family. And quite frankly, I, I think about the, there are positives and negatives to that. Right? When, when someone has an argument with their spouse, with their significant other, and their significant other makes them so upset, so angry, so frustrated, whatever so emotion we want to put there, taking a step back to consider, even for a moment, that would you want anybody else to make you feel those kinds of emotions, to put you in those positions? Right? We chose our significant other, and the fact that we are allowing ourselves to feel that level of emotion, not necessarily that it's a good thing, but that it's a meaningful thing. It's meaningful to know that not everybody gets to make me feel this way. Not everybody gets to, gets to have me put myself in this position. This person does because they are enough of a whatever word we want to use, enough of a value, enough of an import, enough something special to us that nobody else gets to do. Um, and then I think, again, it, I, it's very meaningful to think about where you came from and, and what you have and what it means to work for what you have now versus what you used to have to work for to even consider what you had now. Um, I think most people are able to look back. You mentioned the apartment. I think most people are able to look back and say, I had this terrible place that I lived, and I remember I was, I was in Brookline, and I was at a Thanksgiving dinner with friends, and I said that I was grateful for the apartment I had. We lived in this basement-level apartment. Uh, it was terrible. We had a neighbor above our heads who was, did like to have jumping parties in the middle of the night. Um, it was terrible, absolutely terrible. I was grateful for it. Why? My hope was everybody gets one bad apartment. I was getting it out of the way pretty quickly. And thank God, I, I think I did. I think I got it out of the way. I'm blessed to be where we are now. Um, but I think that's, again, something that's a very real understanding, to, to take a look at what you have and just have a wow moment. Um, and quite frankly... If there's stuff that you want that's more, have a wow moment of that. Think about what that means. Think about what it would take to have that and decide if it's really what you want, if it's worth it. And if it is, see if it's possible to work for it. Understanding that it might not be, but also understanding that it's okay to try. It's okay to maybe combine two things, have a swear jar. Or have a, a frustration jar. Every time you lose your temper, you put some money in. Every time you say a swear word, you put some money in. Anything you want to work on. You want to have that extra piece of chocolate? Pay for it. Put a little dollar in a bin. And at some point, God willing, it will be less and less in the jar. And then you'll have other stuff that you really value. Or, at least, you'll have something nice that you wanted. The other thing... One of the things you said made me think about was the idea of learning from others' experiences as well, um, and the idea of volunteering for people who may either temporarily or long-term um, have less than we do currently. 
right? So I'm thinking of uh, we're in hurricane season, people on the West Coast who may be in need at this moment of certain things. Or I'm thinking of volunteering at a soup kitchen for people who are in need of a meal on a particular night. Those lessons can help remind us of the things we should be grateful for. And if we bring along our children, if they're of the appropriate age, can be a great lesson for them as well to help them learn some gratitude of, uh, of the things that they have. I like the idea of all of that. And I also like the idea of considering what things you do have or maybe what things you don't have. Um, maybe you're at a stage in life where you can no longer have children. Maybe you've been blessed with having children. We have things like segula funds that can help people who need help to have children have children. And even if you can't anymore and you want to give towards that, it's a, it's a wonderful reminder again of, look at what I do have. Yes, I can't have children anymore, but look at what I do have. And God willing, that's a, you know, children of your own or for those who aren't able to and weren't able to, considering what it is that you're able to give to somebody else, there's always values within that. There's always meanings. And if, if you can't have children and maybe you wanted to or you are unable to, and there's also obviously a lot of ways to help out with that. Again, between volunteering, uh, there's a lot of children out there not only who need good homes but who need good role models. So there's a lot of organizations where that's an option. And also... Not only do I like the idea of taking your children to a place to volunteer where it's appropriate, but also if you're coming up to something where you've decided this is something meaningful for me to do, either volunteering my time or giving tzedakah or whatever, it's an opportunity to think, why am I giving this? Why is this meaningful to me? And then tell your children about it. Tell them, I give to Tom Chay Shabbos because I am grateful that I can have a wonderful Shabbos meal. Or I remember when I couldn't have a wonderful Shabbos meal. Or I volunteer at a, at, at a, at a shelter because even though I may want a bigger, nicer shelter, I'm appreciative of what I have and... I understand the meaning and value of that. There's so many wonderful opportunities to just take everyday little things that we have and, and really have an immense amount of gratitude for it. And again, even sometimes looking at those things that we don't like so much, thinking about, is this something I want to change? Is this something I want to have different? And can I and how can I? Here's your question for around the Shabbos table. At the very end of Parshat Ha'ezinu, Hashem tells Moshe to go up on Har Nevo and that he will be gathered unto his people, meaning he will pass away, just as his brother Aharon did. Assuming that Moshe heard this command and fully understood it, how do you think Moshe felt about it? Here he is so close to the land of Eretz Israel, he can actually see it. People are about to complete their entry into it. Might he be feeling accomplished? Might he be feeling incomplete because he's unable to finish the journey with them? 
Might he be feeling melancholy? Might he be feeling sad for himself? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.